And I have to tell you something deep from my heart. I am the beneficiary of their ministry before it was called this. My wife and I were broken from a place of, of deep despair. And we were in trouble. Our lives were on the rocks. We were questioning whether we should remain in ministry at that point. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to go. And thank God for good, godly family. And we landed with them at the church they pastored at that time. And they gave us a house to live in for months on end and um, met with us and helped us heal in ways that would have taken us years had we not had a partner like them. So it is with deep gratitude. I welcome Keith and Gladys Kirkwood. Good morning. morning. We are indeed Keith and Gladys Kirkwood, the the famous Keith and Gladys Kirkwood. Um, And it is our joy to be here with you today, and of course, especially to be with family, uh, Dexter and Amy and and the girls. Uh, Just uh, made our hearts swell with pride to see Madeline up here this morning, just uh, leading in worship and worshiping the Lord. It is true that pastors need encouragement. They need someone to go to. Uh, almost uh, over three quarters of the pastors that are active today say they don't have one single solitary person that they can be absolutely transparent with. Uh, they have nobody. And, and of course, I know that the tendency is to say, well, you're the man of God. You have God to talk to, right? But for some reason, when God saw Adam by himself, he said, it ain't good. He needs somebody. All of us need somebody. And so we are um, developing, continuing to develop a network that we call a safety net. That's the reason our ministry is called Safe Net Ministries. Uh, providing a safety net for pastors, uh, missionaries, and their families, and their staff. And... Uh, much of that revolves around retreats that we take people we will take them to and uh, be able to have small groups five six seven maybe eight at the time with their spouses uh, a meeting that we can sit around the table the breakfast table and the dinner table if you ever notice that there that people are much more willing to talk and be friendly and to open up around the food table, and uh, and so we <clears throat> we build those retreats around the table as people open up and talk. And we've had we've had people over the years that we've done this uh, before we had a name for it, and uh, and so we've we've done this for many years uh, on a very limited basis. And uh, we've had pastors who are broken in so many ways. Tom and Martha, that that Gladys and I. Um, took to an event that we had in Oklahoma, and they were just so broken. And uh, God began to bring healing into their life when they were mad at God, uh, tired of ministry, and just wanted out. And God restored them and, and gave, them, gave them new life. Right, right. You see, pastors not only carry the burden of the church and the ministry, but also their personal lives. And sometimes those things can be devastating 
just like with you when you have uh, chaos, maybe sickness or whatever, to come into your lives. And so that's the reason, like Keith said, that we, we created SafeNet Ministries uh, to, have, to come alongside those pastors um, because many times we've heard pastors say they feel like they're on this tightrope, walking this tightrope without a net underneath. And so we've, we have uh, created a, a network of coaches and counselors and mentors, consultants to come alongside them. So if they do fall off that net, they'll have a safe place to land. Yes. Of course, that's what Tom and Martha found when they came to our retreat in Oklahoma. Uh, even though they were so broken, uh, they had said on the way out there, uh, Tom had said to her, we're going to go to this, this retreat, but when we get home, um, I'm going to resign. I'm leaving the ministry. But while they were there, there was a couple there that we had invited. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another pastor and his wife who had gone through some very tragic circumstances in their life and um, had seen God bring them through those times and heal them and restore them to great successful ministry. And so they were there with us and they shared their testimony one morning as we were gathered there. And Tom and Martha wept through the whole thing. And at the end of that testimony, I went over and put my arms around Tom and just began to weep with him. His, Gladys took Martha in her arms and, and uh, just began to weep with her. And they were, through that week, God just poured his love into them, poured his spirit into them, renewed their hope, renewed their joy, renewed their, expect, their, their, uh, their call to ministry. And so for the next several months, uh, Tom would come to my office from his home in Alabama in, our, in my office in Mississippi. And he would sit with me for an hour and a half. And we would talk together, pray together, so forth. And uh, he said many times since then that had it not been for that retreat in Oklahoma, he and his wife would not be in ministry today. And maybe because they were so angry at God and so emotionally damaged, they may not have even been serving God today. So thank God for that. Amen. 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 And so we... We wonder, you know, what haunts us really today is how many more Tom and Martha's, Martha's are there out there needing our help. But in order for us to help them, and we also work with churches uh, for healthy churches. Um, but we need two things. First of all, we need prayer partners. We need people that will cover us in prayer because you know what? The devil hates what we're doing. Yes. And, and if he can get the shepherd... Then the sheep, he's got the sheep because it says the sheep will scatter without a shepherd. Uh, also, you know, like I said, we work with churches to make, uh, help them with their leadership to have healthy churches. But I brought this cup up here today because it's our SafeNet Ministries cup. And as many of you who can, I would love for you to purchase one of these today. They're only $10. And the reason yeah, show it. <laughs> the reason is because when you drink your coffee or your cocoa or hot tea or whatever, it'll remind you to pray for us. You can say a prayer for us uh, because we covet your prayers. The second thing we need is financial partners who will stand with us. As um, Pastor said, we are U.S. missionaries, so we have a budget to raise. Um, and so we need uh, partners that will stand with us. We need churches. Uh, we need individuals. We need businesses that will stand with us and help us. I think for February, we lack about $300 in monthly support in order to reach our goal for February. But we have some forms on the table in the back. 
Plus, there's some books. I think he's going to talk about one of them and some teaching uh, series of his uh, back there. Um, so if you'll stop back after the service, we would appreciate it. And we'll explain to you more about how you can help us. Thank you, sweetie. Let me help you off this stage. She has been my, uh, she's been riding shotgun for me. And she won't let me tell you how many years. Because we've decided not to get old. Even though we have, we may age. We've decided we're not going to get old. In fact, God gave us a promise that as we get age, we're not going to get old. I like that. I, that. You know, people prophesy over you sometimes, and you say, well, maybe, you know. That's, but when, when, when that guy from England prophesied that over me, I said, that's mine. Hallelujah. I ain't getting old. Praise the Lord. And so uh, we are, we're continuing on. And one of the things that, that has been a, a burden of ours is, is for pastors' families, but not only for pastors' families, but for your family. And so we carry this book with us called Devil, Devil Proof Your Family. It's, uh, it, it's written by um, a man that we um, have come to know a little bit. We've become acquainted with. He does a great job. His name is Ken Blount. And uh, Ken uh, has a great ministry to couples, to families. And, uh, and, and you need to pick this book up if you're a married uh, person today. You need to pick this book up. I, I don't know how many of them we have, but however many we've got, you can buy them all. I mean, I'll let you have all of them. Amen. And, and it, it will help you with your, with your um, uh, learning how to fight the devil for your marriage and your family. How many of you know the devil is after your family? He, he hates your family because he knows that your family is the way that God has designed for his kingdom to be advanced in the world. It's through families. Uh, we often look at it as the church. But the truth of the matter is no church is any stronger than the families that populate it. This church could not be a church unless there were families involved. Uh, and family can be, our, maybe I should say households. Because you may be a single person living alone, or you may be a single parent, or you may be someone who's, who's been widowed, or you may be someone who's a, a, the victim of divorce. All of those things uh, can happen to us. Because Satan is after the family today, and he wants to destroy it because he knows if he's got the family, the church is done. The church is done without the family. And so he's after your family. So I just uh, feel like the Lord put something on my heart this morning uh, for this day. Uh, just in a couple of days is going to be Valentine's Day. And uh, you're going to be buying cards. And, I, I, you know, I noticed they've got all the cards out everywhere in the stores and the drug stores and things and card shops. Uh, and we're buying, you know, I've got my wife a, a card that. Uh, says just, I mean, it's the perfect card and, uh, and she's going to cry when she reads it and, and, uh, it's going to be so sweet and she's going to hug me and kiss me and thank me and, and, uh, you hearing all this baby. And, uh, and so it's going to be nice. It's going to be good. She has me one and, uh, there's often flowers and candy and, and, um, overnight trips or dinner out. Those kinds of things on Valentine's Day, uh, because it's the day of love, right? It's when we when we express love and give a give a special attention to the to the feelings and the emotions of love. 
But I want to speak to you today about something in regards to your relationship in the home, the family. And it is the issue of honor. Honor. Um, If you uh, will take your Bibles, and I think they're going to put this on the screen, I think. Ephesians chapter number, number five. And we're going to go through a lot of this today in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll, we'll take big chunks of this, this passage. Uh, and we'll start in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, I mean chapter 5, verse 1. Do we have that on the screen? Okay. Uh, and here's what it says. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I want you to notice a couple of words in here. First of all is the word imitators. Imitators of God. That Greek word means to mimic. So we are to mimic God. We're to imitate God. How? In the love that he has given to us. Gave himself for us because he loved us. Loved us enough that he gave himself for us. And so we're to mimic him in that way uh, as, as he's offered himself up for us. Now, when you go on down in that chapter, you'll come to, I think it's about verse 15 or so. If you'll, t- if you'll drop on down there a little bit, uh, verse, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, let me just talk, pause here for a minute to say, uh, this chapter is very important regarding uh, the church and the families that populate it. Because here's what Paul is saying. You're supposed to imitate Christ. You're supposed to imitate him. To mimic what Christ did in giving himself for one another. And then he says in this, pa- in this passage that we're to walk circumspectly, not as fools, wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We all know that we've just alluded to that, that the devil has every trap possible for your family and for your relationship Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There is a will of God for you, and there's a will of God for your family. God has a will of God. Now, that word understand means to mentally uh, separate or to mentally line up, to line it up mentally. And what he's talking about is a new mindset, to develop a new mindset and understand what the will of God is. You've got to get this straight in your mind, what the will of God is for you. So he goes on then in, in, in verse 18 and following. I want to read a, a big chunk of this. And, and so just, just let's just read for a while unless I tell you to stop. And, and do not be drunk with wine, which is, in which is dissipation. That means careless uh, uh, living. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, giving thanks always. For all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Verse number 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another. And he's writing to the church. Writing to us. Writing to the church. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Okay? So now I'm I'm emphasizing this because it's important to where where we go in in verse 22. Submitting to one another, God said to the church, understand what the will of God is. Get this lined up right in your mind. Get, take, develop this new mindset. 
That the will of God for you in the church is to be in submission to one another. In other words, what this really means is to honor one another. To respect one another. And to take one another, uh, uh, to look at one another with, with great deal of honor and respect. Uh, as, you, as you relate to one another in the house of God. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now that word, that phrase just simply means because that you honor God. We are to honor one another because we are the, we are the Lord's bride. We're the members of his body. And so we can't say that we honor God, the head of the church, if we don't honor the members of the body in the church. To say that we honor God and dishonor one another is, is a falsehood. It's not, it, it can't be true. It's an oxymoron. It can't be, the, both things can't happen. So to dishonor people in the house of God, or to dishonor other people. In, in fact, I won't take you there right now. But there are places in the Bible where Paul says that we're to honor all men. Honor all men. And honor the king. Honor the, honor, honor the political leaders and the rulers. Honor them. I know it's, it's easy sometimes when we don't like what they do. To use words that are dishonorable. And dishonoring. Uh, but... but as Christians, we are to honor all men, honor the rulers, especially in the house of God. Those who are given the charge of our souls, even in the house of God, to honor them. So in the fear of God simply means because we honor God, we're going to honor people. We're going to submit to one another and be honoring of one another. Verse 22, here's where, the, here's where we get mad. Wives, submit to your own husband <laughs> as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, we'll stop there just for a moment. Just leave that verse up there. We live in a world where our, our society makes us believe that, that men wrote this. this. This was written because it was a, patriarchic, a patriarchal system. It was run by men. Women were discounted. Women were, were unimported. But the truth of the matter is, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus elevated the status of women when he came. It was still the same society... It was still the same society, but Jesus elevated the status of women when he came because he, Paul, as Paul writes in Galatians chapter two, that in Christ, we're all one. There's no, there's no Greek. There's no, there's no Jew. There's no Greek. There's no bond. There's no free. There's no male and there's no female. We're all one, he says, in Christ. So in the same way that men are honored, in the same way that men are respected in the body of Christ, women get the same respect. We're all one. I don't want to get sidetracked. We're all one. So, but, but the world makes us believe that this is, this is somehow uh, discounts the, the veracity, the validity of the Bible, of the scriptures. When it says that wives are to submit to their own husbands. Now, there's, there's a phrase there that's very important to this whole, whole issue. Just like verse 21 said, submitting to one another. How? How? 
in the fear of the Lord. This one says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, as to the Lord. My daughter, Paula, I don't know if y'all have, have Paula and Mark been here, Paula. Some of you may remember Paula and Mark Boone. Uh, I think you support them here uh, as missionaries. They're in, they're in Europe Um, when they were first married, they'd just been married a few years. She was my, I used to call her my secretary, but she, she re-educated me. It's not secretary, it's personal assistant, executive assistant, in fact. And so she worked for me for a long time, for over 20 years. Um, and she, she ran my life and she kept my life in order. She's an extremely efficient administrative assistant. And, uh, She's very, very driven. She has, she has a, in every one of these personality tests that she's ever taken, she comes out as a high A personality or a, uh, a D, high D if you're doing the, doing the disc uh, personality. She's, she's extremely driven, extremely aggressive, and, and, and so uh, extremely focused, a little bossy, and... Uh, and so, Mark, on the other hand, is the opposite. Uh, in fact, she used to say, I'm a high A, Mark is a low Z. <laughs> because she's bouncing off the walls, and Mark is like going, it's going to be all right. It'll work out. It'll be okay. No, it won't. We, you know. So, so this personality difference, and I, I, I keep having thoughts that I want to teach you on this, but I, I'm going to, going to not do that because God made us that way on purpose, by the way. If you want, if you want to know why, I'll come back and do a teaching on that. Uh, and so, eventually, this personality difference became a problem for them. In their marriage. Uh, she would run over him. Uh, and so. Uh, she would be bossy. Toward him. And, uh, and actually disrespectful. She didn't mean it to be that way. But that's the way it came across. Uh, and so one morning. Before they left for work. He sat her down on the edge of the bed. In their morning devotions. That they always did. And he picked up the word of God and he turned to Ephesians chapter 5 and he read to her, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is also the head of the church. Well, that didn't bless her. It made her mad. She got mad. And even when do it through the prayer, she didn't pray. She just let him pray. And she's fuming the whole time, just steaming. And so when she got to the office, I'm sitting in my office and she comes, she comes busting through my door and stood in front of my desk and put her hands on her hips and says, Daddy, is Mark my boss? Now I ain't real smart. 
but I ain't stupid. And I've been in ministry for a pretty good while. And I, this girl is not only my daughter, I'm her pastor. And so I did what any wise man would do. I stalled. <clears throat> and I said, baby, what's going on? Sit, sit down here. Tell, tell me what's happened. What's happening? What's going on? So she told me the story that I just told you about Mark reading her from Ephesians 5.22. And uh, so when she finished telling that story, so she said, she looked at me, so she said, so is Mark my boss? So I said, baby, let me ask you a question. If Jesus asked you to go to Africa and spend the rest of your life in Africa, in the jungles of Africa, among people of, uh, of a different race, a different culture, a different society. Would you do that? And she's, she's sitting on the edge of her. You have to know Paula. She, her back is straight as a ramrod. She's sitting on her edge of her seat, and her foot's going like this. And so I, she looked at me, and she said, Daddy, if Jesus asked me to, of course I would. I said, if he asked you to go to India and live in the, in the, in the filthy streets of Cal, uh, Calcutta and give your life to the, to the people in India, would you do that? She said, Daddy, I would. If Jesus asked me to, I would. You know that. I said, if he asked you to go to the barrios of Houston and spend your life among those people who oftentimes are just looking for what they can get out of you and use you, and very few of them ever really take hold of what you're saying. Would you spend your life there if Jesus asked you to? So now she's starting to soften a little bit, and she, she, her voice changed a little, and she said to me, Dad, you know, if Jesus asked me to do that, I would. So I picked up my Bible lying on the edge of my desk, and I turned to Ephesians 5, 22, and I read it to her again. And I said, baby, Jesus hadn't asked you to go to Africa. He hasn't asked you to go to India. He hasn't even asked you to go to the barrios of Houston. What he did ask you to do was to submit to your husband. Not because Mark deserves it. Not because he's smarter. Not because he's stronger. But because Jesus asked you to. You call him Lord. Will you do what he asked you to do? Tears came in her eyes. She stood up straight as a ramrod. Stood there and looked at me for a minute. And she said, I can do that. I know I'm prejudiced, but I think Mark and Paul have probably one of the strongest marriages of anybody I know. She's still a high A. He's still a low Z. Although he has learned over years to be more aggressive. Because you have to in ministry sometimes. But the way they relate together and the way they work together 
is so amazing to me. So different and yet so unified. Simply because she understood that submitting to her husband did not mean servitude. It does not mean slavery. It means I submit to you willingly. Myself, I do it. You don't make me. I don't have to. I do it because I am submitted to Christ. Because I honor Him, I am compelled to honor you. Ladies, you don't honor your husband. You don't submit to your husband because he's better than you. You submit to your husband because Jesus asked you to. And if he is your Lord, then we must do what he asked us to do and not only ask us to do, but demonstrated to us, illustrated for us. Philippians chapter 2, when he threw off The, the, the nature, if you will, the, 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 the robes of divinity and put on flesh. And not only put on flesh, but came as a servant and lived as a servant. And Hebrews tells us that he learned obedience. Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. When he was 12 years old. His mother and his father took him to the temple in Jerusalem. It doesn't say so in the Bible, but I personally believe because I've been there in Jerusalem when they would have these, these uh, what do they call it, bar, mis- bar, bar misfits for the, for the young men. When they turn 12 years old, then they bring him to the temple and they go through a ceremony and he becomes a man. He's, he's recognized as a man through this ceremony. His parents brought Jesus at 12 years old. And they stayed for several days, evidently, and with, with a group of people who came from the north in Galilee, uh, a few days' journey by foot. And so as, as they got ready to leave and started back toward uh, the, the, the area of Galilee in the north, at the end of the first day, they realized Jesus wasn't among them. Uh, unlike today, where we have to keep our kids closed up because of the dangers outside, they, their children were, were free to... To kind of roam around, especially at 12 years of age, because he really now is considered to be a young man. And so they didn't even know he wasn't with them in the group until they set up camp that night. And he didn't show up. And so they began to wonder, and they they made their way back to Jerusalem. It took them three days from that first day to find him. When they finally found him, he was in the temple uh, asking and answering questions with the learned scholars of the law. And they were amazed by him, but his mother came to him. Just like any mother, she didn't care who he was talking to. She walked straight up to him and says, why have you done this? Why have you frustrated us like this? We were scared silly. We couldn't find you. What, what were you thinking? That's a mama in the South, right? That's the Southern translation of what happens in the King James Version. What were you thinking? Jesus simply looked at her and said, don't you understand 
that I have to be about my father's business. Now, here's the amazing thing about this. At 12 years old, Jesus knew who he was and knew why he was here at 12. He knew he was a son of God and he knew why he had come to earth. And yet the Bible says in the end of that chapter, he went down with them. Everywhere from Jerusalem is down, even though it's in the, he went north. He went down with them and was subject to them. Here's this kid, 12 years old. Now, I don't know about y'all, but when a kid hits about 12 or 13, you need to put him in a barrel, close the lid, and feed him through the bunghole. They, they just, they, they go crazy. They go crazy when they hit about 12 or 13. They know everything. They're smarter than everybody else. And daddy and mama are stupid. Amen. I'm joking. <laughs> I hear that. Hallelujah. But this man, this boy, 12 years old. Went down with them, knowing he was the son of God, knowing what he was doing on earth, knowing what his purpose was. Yet he went down with them and was subject to them, this lowly tradesman, carpenter. If you've been to Nazareth and they took you to the place where they think he might have been raised in that little cave in Nazareth. Humble little surroundings. You understand that his daddy wasn't an important man. His daddy wasn't a, what we would call a successful man. His daddy wasn't a, an educated man. He was a humble carpenter. Living in very humble surroundings. Yet the son of God, knowing who he was, went down and was submissive to them. Subject to them. So that same Jesus is the one who asked us, ladies... Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as unto the Lord. He can say that without blinking an eye because he knows what that's about. I didn't come to do my own will, he said. I came to do the will of the Father. I always do, he said in another place, the things that please my Father. I always do that. And so... On this Valentine's, during this Valentine's season. In, in, in order to be able to love our husbands, ladies. I say our. Don't, don't read anything into that. Uh, in order to love our husbands. The way God loved us and the way God showed his love to us. It requires us. To honor them. To honor them. Because Jesus asked us to. Okay, let's go on. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
Go on and let's read the rest of the chapter. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Verse 31, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, nevertheless, even though this is an example, I'm I'm really talking about Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects or reverences her husband. So Jesus says, God says to the Apostle Paul, writing inspirationally from the Holy Spirit, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's one thing to buy flowers. It's another, and another, and, and something, to, it's one thing to buy candy, and it's one thing to take her out to dinner, and it's, it's one day a year, or maybe on her birthday. A couple of times a year, or maybe on Christmas, three times a year out of 365. Maybe that's okay, and you ought to do that. But that's one thing. But that's not what Jesus asked us to do. Jesus asked us to love our wives like he loved the church and gave himself for her. You, you do understand, if you want to, if you want to go back and, and read the accounts of the crucifixion and the, and the torture that Jesus went through and the, and the way that his life was, was torn away from him and hung on a cross, gave up the ghost, his heart ruptured. Go back and read those accounts in the Gospels. He didn't just die for us. He suffered unbelievable agony for us gave himself for us on our behalf in our place on in our stead so we wouldn't have to and so through the through the apostle paul god says to us men love your wives like christ loved the church and gave himself for her so guess what let all the guys at work call you henpecked Just because when they say, let's go do so-and-so, you say, well, let me check with my wife and see what she's got going. And they say, why don't we, why don't we plan a fishing trip? Why don't we go, why don't we plan a trip to New Orleans to the, to the Saints game? Why don't we, why don't we do this? Why don't we do such and such and such? Let me check with, let me check with Gladys and. And I'll get back to you. That's okay. That's okay. Because you see, the truth of the matter is, if I give myself for her, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you to give yourself for your wife? Like Christ gave himself for the church. You see, Jesus didn't do what he did on the cross because of what he needed. It wasn't what he needed that put him on the cross. He was God, the all-sufficient God, which means he don't need nothing for you English teachers. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. He didn't need it. 
He did it for me, for you, for his church, for his people, for his called out ones, for his bride. We're called a bride of Christ. He did it for his bride, not for himself. And so when the Bible, when Paul writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What that says to me is that when, 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 there's, a, when there's a conflict between what I want and what she wants, guess who wins? He's exactly right. Because Jesus said, husbands, give yourself like I gave myself. Give yourself. So if she wants a new furniture, new living room suit, and I want a new bass boat, guess who wins? Jesus. Because he's the one who said, Give yourself for her. You know, I've seen guys shake out their chest and say, yeah, that girl wanted that diamond, so I had to go get it for her. Hallelujah. Come here, baby, show my diamond. You didn't do it for her. You did it so you can brag. You did it for you. Look what I did. Now I want something from you. Let me tell you something. It may seem a little crass to some of you, but hang on. Those flowers you buy her for Valentine's, that box of candy, that dinner that you take her to in that expensive restaurant for Valentine's Day, that's not payment for a night. That's just simply, I want you to know how special you are. And I want you to also know that it's not just today that I know that. Because I'm doing just exactly what Jesus did. And Jesus showed us how this is supposed to work. Because he came to earth. God put on flesh and lived as a servant and laid his life down and said... I love you. I love you. Father, would you now, in the name of Jesus, touch us in this room? If we are examples, illustrations, pictures... Of Christ and his church. Like your word says. And we are. Then Lord help us as men. To learn how to give ourselves. Not to just be. Henpecked and. And, and bossed around and. Belittled in front of people. Made to feel small. Made to feel childish. No. We give ourselves. Because of what you did for us. You gave yourself for your bride. Would you help us. To know how to. Demonstrate that love that you've shown us. 
to the woman in our lives. Father, help the ladies in this room to know that they're not asked to submit to their husbands because they're inferior, but because it's an example of Christ and His church. And as the church surrenders to the Lordship of Jesus, the wife willingly gives herself to her husband. Lord, I pray today that you'd help us in this room that this, this Valentine's season would be a time of transformation for us. That these roses and candies and dinners and all of these things would remind us that we are called to imitate Christ in the way that he gave himself for us and loved us with a love that was enduring and everlasting. And I pray, God, that you touch every man and every woman in this room. And if there are controversies and conflicts and divisions and hurts, if there's brokenness between them, I'm asking you right now, in the name of Jesus, help us to be able to surrender our lives to Jesus to the point, to his lordship to the point that we can obey his word so that our homes can be healed, our lives can be peaceful, and our example and our testimony can be impacting to our world and to our children. Let them see the way God intends a family to live. And I'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask him to play some music for just a moment, some soft music. If you're here today and it is your heart's desire to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you really do intend and plan and commit to making him the Lord of your life. Then hear him say, why do you call me Lord and won't do what I say? In the closing moments of this service today, I'm going to ask you if you will make that commitment to surrender to him. Whether you're married or unmarried, whether you're saved or unsaved, if you may not even be, have surrendered your heart to Christ in any way up until this point, but today you want to surrender your heart to Jesus. You want to let him be the Lord of your life so that your house, your family, your future, your children, your grandchildren can know what it means to live with honor for one another. We live in a society that has lost its honor. We disrespect each other. We, we talk about each other. We, husbands and wives, politicians, church members, pastors, we, we, we use such abusive language and such harsh words and such critical attitudes toward each other. We, we've lost honor. And I hear, I'm here to tell you that honor, honor is the atmosphere 
of heaven. And so if we ever expect God's presence to bless our lives and fill our homes and touch our church, we have to understand that we personally, individually, husbands, wives, children, parents, not only just the children, but Paul talks about and the scripture teaches us that we're to honor our children. To honor them. If they're going to learn honor, we have to give honor. It doesn't mean you let them get away with murder. It just simply means that you honor them. You treat them with respect. If you want to be his servant, if you want to be, want him to be your Lord of your house, your family, your children, your grandchildren, would you please stand right where you are? If your mate is here, if your spouse is here, if your fiance is here, if they're in this room, would you bring them with you? And I want you just to kind of line up around here. Get as close up here as you can. And we're going to have a prayer together. You're, you're standing saying, I want Christ to be the Lord of my life. I want Him to be master of my house. I want our home. I want our home. Listen closely. I, I, I want our home to be, have the fragrance of Christ about it. I want, our, I want our family to live in His presence. But how can we live in His presence if we're disobeying Him? How can we live in His presence? You see, Paul in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the, the, the passage that we use for communion all the time, Paul is actually dealing with, if you read that whole chapter, you realize Paul is actually dealing with the fact that people are being disrespected in the church at the Lord's Supper. The way they're doing that is disrespectful to some people. And he says, I'm not going to, I can't bless you for this. I can't, I can't approve of, you, of this in your life, the way you're doing this at church. And he goes on down in that passage in the, in the communion section that we used for communion and he talks about that we're to examine ourselves and and to not partake of the of the communion elements the communion meal in an unworthy manner and he explains what he's talking about because if you receive it not discerning the lord's body you eat damnation to yourself he said and he said some of you've died some of you, many of you are sick because you have not discerned the Lord's body when you come to the communion table. He goes, you, you realize when he wrote that letter, it was, there was no chapter and verse division. It was just one, just one letter. We, people put that in there so we could find spots and we could, we could refer to places and we could find our place. But it was just one letter. And so he keeps on going, and in, in the next chapter, he says, now, you are the body of Christ. You are, you individually are the body of Christ. He just said, not discerning the Lord's body, being disrespectful to the Lord's body. And he goes on down in the next chapter and says, 
You are the Lord's body. And members in particular. So you see, sir, this is the Lord's body. 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 And the way you treat each other, Jesus takes it personally. Because that's his body. Does that make sense? Jesus takes it personally. And he said, if you don't discern the Lord's body and you partake of these communion elements, if you're treating your wife like dirt, you're talking to your husband like he's a, like he's a, a, a retarded child. Then when you receive the communion elements, you have to understand that's the Lord's body. And how you treat him, I take it personally. So right now, we're going to have a prayer together. And if you've been talking to your wife ugly, you've been treating her disrespectfully, if you've been acting disrespectful to your husband, and you do it more than, you can do it silently. He says something and you look at the kids and go. And those kids say, Daddy, stupid. No wonder they don't respect their fathers. No wonder they don't respect their mothers. No wonder they holler at you. Because that's the way you treat their mother. That's the way you treat them. I'm preaching better than you're acting. Because this is book. This is the book. Treat them the way Christ treats us. So I want you to, if you're not already, grab hold of that hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come now. I, I, I just feel like they didn't ask you to do this. I think, you, I think you need to put your arms around each other. Yeah. It's okay in church. Put your arms around each other. Father, we stand here as one. You said that, that the husband and the wife became one flesh. But Lord, there's so many of us who are so divided there's no emotional attachment. There's, there's brokenness and division and disunity and disharmony and disrespect and disregard. Selfish attitudes. Father, would you forgive us in this room today? In Jesus' name. Would you forgive us? May we be able to let the world know how much you loved us by the way we treat our husband and wife. Would you let our children know... What it means to love like Jesus loved by the way we treat each other. Would you let our house be filled with the covering of the blessing and the presence of God. Because you, you bless the house we're in. We honor your body. Not just, not just husbands and wife. But parents and children. And children and parents. And, and church members. And people who worship with us. And rather than talking about them. Lifting them up and blessing them. And praying for them. And encouraging them. Rather than having our children hear us speak such angry, violent, vicious words about our government and our politicians and the, and, and the lady down the street and the man that we work with, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn how to let the love of Jesus permeate our lives so that our children grow up 
understanding what it means to honor like you honored us. We give you our lives. We give you our heart. We give you ourselves. We give you our families. We give you our future, our marriages, everything we are. We want to be your body. We don't want to be diseased and broken. We want to be healthy and strong and vibrant and alive. Help us to do that today in Jesus' name.